The Sanctuary, a community of Jesus' people promoting the glory of God in all things to all nations through gospel-centered missional living. Whether it be working with groups in Africa to build orphanages and help rid the continent of AIDS, or feeding the hungry, giving to the oppressed, and helping the hurting who live in our own community, The Sanctuary invites you to be part of a culture of passionate service. You can change your world. Be inspired. Join the movement. Um, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 today. If you want to turn there, that's fine. We'll have it on the screen. Uh, we want to interact with the Word and what it tells us today, uh, specifically about um, worship, um, as we get into uh, worship and communion this morning. Um, we want to celebrate. Here's kind of where we're coming from, I think, as a church staff, pastoral staff, right? We want to, we want to celebrate communion sort of as often as possible without it becoming something that is um, a drag and a bore and ritualistic and kind of loses its meaning. So we get caught a little bit in between um, knowing how often to have communion and quite frankly sometimes how to have communion um, in such a way that we highlight its importance but make it accessible to as many people as possible um, and enjoy that time of worship that we have during that. So that's where we're coming from. We want to celebrate it as often as we can um, and celebrate Christ in, co- in communion. And I mean that like every time we take communion, we want to celebrate Christ and we want to do it as often as we can. So we're going to talk about some of those details today about why we have communion maybe and, and um, what we're doing during our communion, what it means, what it really symbolizes when we take the Lord's Supper together. Um, I will tell you this, that it's been years ago, but... Um, some of you guys remember the theater, back to the theater days. How many of you were in the theater? If you were back as an, okay, yeah, it's quite a bit of us. All right, so back in the theater, and we used to line communion up in the middle aisle of the theater. And, and it was kind of a self-serve station almost, I guess. I don't know exactly what to call it. And there was a, you could kind of come by and get it and take it and all this kind of stuff. And, and quite frankly, I had somebody just take me out and just, if I've been reamed out about something here, theologically, I was reamed out about that, re- literally reamed out about it. And we had this long hour and a half conversation theologically and all this kind of stuff. So he- here's what I would say about this, how we do communion, like the physically how we do it. We are not a high church church. If you don't know what that is, don't, it's okay. We're not a high church, okay? We're not a high church functioning high church kind of church, which means a lot of formality and things like that, obviously. Um, the other thing I want to, tell you, and I hope this doesn't burst anybody's bubbles, but Jesus didn't have plastic cups and little poker chip wafers that he had for the Lord's Supper. So there's a whole lot of things that we do when we have communion and the Eucharist and the Lord's Supper, however you want to refer to that, that wasn't around, wasn't the way that Jesus did it, um, that really deformalizes it in a lot of ways. Um, I would also say this, at no point are we in any way Attempting to be sacrilegious. Matter of fact, I think we're doing the opposite. Um, every time we take the Lord's Supper here, we're doing our best to be as approachable, relational, interactive with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit as we can. So to some degree, all we can do, and I kind of mean it this way, is all we can do is kind of set the table. And I mean that in a literal way, but also just in what we've just done worship-wise. All we can do is kind of set the table and then you have to decide how you're going to approach this time. There has to be some agreement in your spirit with the Holy Spirit that this is how I'm going to participate in this time of worship in the Lord's Supper. Um, I'll put it this way. So this is sort of my 
history with the Lord's Supper, if you will, um, just to give you an idea, I'm okay with controlled chaos. I really am, all right? As long as chaos has a purpose, which sounds oxymoronic and idiomatic, right? As long as it serves a purpose, I'm okay with it, right? Controlled chaos. So there would be a time when we did student ministry, we used to take our kids from Tucson, Arizona, all the way to Dallas, Texas for a student camp. That's, we would do our, our student ministry summer camp there. So we'd get in a charter bus, 45 passenger bus, pile everybody on, spend all night driving to camp, all week long without any sleep, get back on the bus and drive all the way back to Tucson. We left early, uh, the day, we left Thursday night after our worship service um, because we had to drive all day long to get back to Tucson. My pastor, Ed Litton, he's now the pastor of uh, North Mobile Baptist Church in Saraland, uh, Alabama. But the guy that was my pastor at the time, and I was a student minister, he's like, hey, what do we have to take the Lord's Supper? Now, this is after we're on the bus already, okay? I'm type A youth minister, which really doesn't go very well hand in hand a lot of times. I'm type A youth guy. I'm, I'm ready for everything except communion on the bus, right? Who's thinking that? So Ed is like, what's to have communion on the bus? What do you have for communion? And I said, bro, I have bags of Doritos, okay, that we had on lunch because we had lunch on the way up. So I have bags of Doritos in the thing up there, and I've got two bottles of Sprite. And he goes, get it. <laughs> so we had Dixie cups of Sprite and crunched up Doritos chips that we used for communion. Nobody died. Like the Lord didn't strike anybody down and say, you punky little 13-year-old kid, how dare you sacrifice my body like that? At some point or another, this has so much to do with our heart's attitude. Y'all understand that? I, I don't drink alcohol, and I'm not like, ooh, look at me. I have never in my life touched alcohol, drank alcohol, okay? If, if I felt like it was such a big deal, we'd drink wine every single time. At some point or another, the element itself becomes an irrelevant issue. What are you representing, right? What are we symbolizing with what we do? And where am I coming from? What's my heart's attitude when I do this, okay? So I just wanna throw that out at you, okay? That I'm comfortable as your pastor observing the Lord's Supper in a thousand different ways so long as we know what we're representing and we kinda come to this table together agreeing this is what we're doing. Okay, so we're going to talk a lot about the this is what we're doing for the rest of our time. What are we doing when we take the Lord's Supper, when we have the Eucharist? Some of you know that word. Anybody grow up with that word? Just curiously, the Eucharist, yeah? Certain denominations and churches use that word quite a bit, and we'll talk about that. So and every time we do it, we want to be just as, as relational with Jesus as we can, um, and as interactive with the Holy Spirit as we can. Um, the Lord's Supper is, is very unique, um, and, and I mean that not just historically or as far as the church goes, but biblically. If you look at what Christ said in, in the things that he told us to do, really, the, the Lord's Supper communion, it's the one thing that he put in place that says, remember me. It's the one commemorative act. It's so um, ironic, I guess, that this is Memorial Day weekend and we're supposed to remember these fallen soldiers. And this is, there's so many ways we're going to do that over the weekend. This is Jesus' one way of saying, remember what I've done for you. This is the one ritual, this is the one practice that I want you to have in place where I don't want you to forget specifically my death. John Stott, great author, he said this, he said, the, the Lord's Supper dramatizes neither his birth nor his life 
nor his words, nor his works, only his death. Nothing can communicate, could communicate more clearly the central significance which Jesus attached to his death. It was by his death that he wishes above all else to be remembered. Now, isn't that interesting? Out of all the things Jesus said and did, the one thing he wants you to remember is, I died for you. I died for you. I did this for you. He wants us to never, ever forget that. And this is, that's what makes this, this particular time of worship that we have that much more unique and, I think, important. It does sort of um, carry with it, Jesus was a Jew. I don't know if that bursts anybody's theological bubbles. Um, Jesus was Jewish. He had a lot of Jewish practices. The things, his entire ministry revolved around Judaism. Um, and uh, in the Old Testament, you would have had covenants. Covenants would have been a very regular part of everyday life. We probably, con- contracts might be the closest thing we would have, though they're different. Um, so had a lot of covenant relationships with people, agreements that you had with people. And if you had a long-standing covenant relationship with people, you would have renewal ceremonies covenant renewal ceremonies. So it wasn't like you kind of came into this contract and signed it and then put it in a file and a hundred years later your children dug it out and said, oh, look what my grandparents signed. Very regularly, you would have these ceremonies and these meals where you not only remembered what you did before, but you renewed your commitment to each other. And the Lord's Supper feels like that. It should feel like that. This is sort of a renewal Uh, a renewal of our vows. Maybe we should look at it that way um, when we're doing this. God is reminding us um, of at least this, that he has promised to save us, that he's promised to redeem us, he's promised to make us new, he's promised to heal us of all of our sin and the effects of sin, he's promised to recreate us, and he's promised to live with us forever. When we take the Lord's Supper, he's reminding us of that. We're saying, we're like, our promise back to him is, we're going to live like your children. You're our dad. You redeemed us. You call us into this new life. So we're going to remind ourselves and we're going to renew our promises to you that we're going to live like your children. We're going to act like God is our father. We're going to leave this place and we're going to remind ourselves through the death of Jesus that he has become our dad. And so we're going to act like God is our father and be his children. We're going to take his love and his gospel out to a lost world that doesn't have that relationship with him. So we're kind of reminding ourselves, hey, we've committed ourselves to live a different way because of the death of Jesus Christ. So it is kind of a renewal ceremony. So we'll get into 1 Corinthians here in a second. And it says that on the last night that Jesus was alive, that he brought his uh, disciples together and they shared this meal together. I don't want to really get into that part of it. But I do want to kind of point this out, that that night, it says in the Gospels, it says that after they had sung some psalms, after they had sung songs, which I kind of like that vision in my head of Jesus singing songs. And he's singing the psalms in particular. And we know exactly what psalms he was singing. He was singing Psalm 115 to 118, the halal. Very specifically, we know the psalms that he was singing. You should read that and put it in the light of the cross and read those psalms and see what Jesus was proclaiming to his disciples that night that he was going to be crucified as they sang those songs. So they sing these songs together. We've sung some songs together. And then he sits with his people, as his buddies, and they eat this meal. This is a little meal. I think you should look at the Lord's Supper as a tiny meal, Okay? So we're going to sit in a moment, and we're going to eat this meal. And you know what? This is so interesting, right? Jesus, master teacher, 
great teacher. He understands that if I can engage your senses, your five senses, you're going to learn better. So through their taste and through their touch and through their smell and through their hearing what he's saying, he's going to teach them something about himself and about what he's doing for them. So what is this all about? If I was going to melt it down to three things, what is the Lord's Supper about? First of all, remembering forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. At Passover, they're celebrating a Passover meal. There would be a lamb that had been, that had been killed, bled out, and then roasted, okay? And before you finish that meal, every bite of meat had to be eaten off that lamb. The entire thing had to be consumed. Now, Jesus, right, he begins to help them understand that that lamb is not really worth much of anything to remove your sins. It can cover your sins and carry it away for a year. Or we're going to do it again next year. We're going to do it again next year. We're going to do it again next year. And he wants them to understand that that lamb has no power to take away, to remove their sins. But Ephesians chapter 1 says this, In Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. We need to remember forgiveness. Second thing, we should be thankful for the freedom that God gives us. Passover, that meal that they would be eating, was a remembrance of being rescued from slavery in Egypt. That's what that entire thing was about. They had a meal that they did for thousands of years to remember something that God did for them 3,500 years ago, 3,700 years ago. So it was a remembrance of the Passover when God rescued them from their slavery in Egypt. Now communion, Lord's Supper, is about our rescue from death and Satan and hell. Hebrews chapter 2. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, God, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who are all uh, their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. We want to remember our forgiveness that God gives us through Jesus. We want to be thankful for the freedom and celebrate community. I'm not going to really pound on this, but we'll come back to it again today. God is calling out a permanent people, a permanent new group of people to be his people, his family, from every group and nation and language that you can imagine. It's a brand new thing. 1 Peter chapter 2. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So these, if I was going to say, man, what's communion all about? It's about at least those three things, remembering, being thankful, and celebrating community. Jesus is trying to make that point to his guys that night that he has that dinner with them. How many times we come to communion and we just blow by it? I grew up in a church where we did communion quarterly. Anybody else do that? And it wasn't Sunday morning, it was Sunday night. And we had the big silver trays, y'all remember those? Huge, and they stacked up, and everybody dressed up, and it was this giant ceremony, you know, and they passed them all by, and they were, I mean, my church was huge, and so it was just this very impersonal tag-on to the end of the service. We wouldn't even talk about communion, we would just do it, you know, after the announcements, basically, at the end of the service. How many times have we come to this table and we've just missed the opportunity to worship Jesus? How many times have we come to this opportunity that we've had to sit down at a meal with our Savior and we just blow right by it because it's a tag on it, something added to the end of it? And I think we should all feel somewhat convicted, right, that we misuse and we skip over this time of our service to get on to something else. 
or we turn into a ritual that really has no meaning, but we did it so we feel a little bit better. So let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's attach the meaning to it that I think Jesus attaches to it. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. On the last night of his life, he has dinner with his 12 guys. Well, they were all there. All 12 of them were there for part of it. In Luke twenty-two fifteen, it's very interesting. It's the only gospel that records it, but, but Jesus says this to them. He brings them together for this meal, and, he, and we're going to come back to this, but he says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. It's the last night of his life. And he's known since before he was born that this is what he came to do, to die this horrible death. And he looks at these guys, these 12 knuckleheads, if you read the gospel, right? You and I would not have hung out with these dudes, right? He looks at him and he says, I cannot tell you how much I've wanted to eat this meal with you. Maybe the most obvious point if you're like, what is the point of the Lord's Supper? What's the big deal with the Eucharist communion? Maybe the most obvious point of the Lord's Supper that we blow by so quickly and we underplay it so much would be this, that we just get to have fellowship with Jesus. We get to have communion with Jesus. There's this obvious point of fellowship with God when Jesus has this meal with his followers. Jesus came into our world. He invites us by his death to enter into his world and to take away our sins and he wants to sit with us. He wants to eat with us. And let me just say it again. Jesus wants to have fellowship with you. Jesus wants to have a meal with you. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20, it's probably one of the more abused verses in scripture. And it says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. He who would open the door, I would come in and sup with him. I would dine with him and he with me. There's this picture of Jesus, and here's, I'm going to blow some of your theological bubbles a little bit. He's standing outside the door of an unrepentant church. And he says, I stand outside the door and I knock. And if you'll open the door, I'll come in and have fellowship with you. Jesus wants to have fellowship, communion with us, with his church, with his people, with his children. And he starts it on this first night with these guys. And he says, I have longed to have this, this, this dinner with you. And he says the same thing to us to do. That word for dinner or dine, um, it really does, it means the last meal of the day. Kind of, I think, has a little bit of double meaning to it. Jesus is kind of urging them, and I think he's urging us to be repentant, to turn away from our old life, to turn to him, to come to Jesus before it's nighttime, before it's too late. I really think that that's part of the message here. I can't tell you how much I've wanted to sit and have this meal with you. Turn around and come back to me before it's too late. Eat with me, fellowship with me, commune with me, because the moment is coming when night will come and no man will do good work. Amen? 
Jesus has an urgency about him that he wants to commune with you and to fellowship with you. So I think that's one thing that we miss so much because we're blowing right through communion so many times. We have an opportunity to fellowship with Jesus. I think the other thing that happens to us is that the cross can become like real to us again. So many times we've we forget the, the impact of the cross because it's something that happened to us when we were young or it's something that's for children or I, I don't even know how we begin to approach it, but it becomes something that we just put in the past. Like that has to do with our salvation and then we move on, like we mature past the cross. And it drives our attention back to the cross and we begin to feel the words of Jesus sort of become alive to us again and the cross gets a little bit bigger and my sin becomes a little bit more painful you know it's another thing when we sit at this table Jesus was crushed and he bled because I sin and when I take that and when I eat that food I need to be remembered that's the price he paid for my sin and my sin should become more painful to me as I think about it when I take the Lord's Supper God's grace becomes sweeter during this time Communion isn't so much about giving us a lot to understand, like more information to comprehend, but it's about new eyes to see the cross of Jesus and be amazed at what Jesus did for us. God didn't make us to just memorize doctrines and master spiritual practices, right? God made us so that we would know and experience his love. You can get bored with Christianity. You can get tired of Christianity. If all Christianity is for you is about reading and learning and doing, it loses its luster. It loses its passion. Um, it loses the energy behind it. That's not, that, that, that's, those are not the things that God was intending for us. He made us, God made us with a chip that's missing. He made us intentionally with a puzzle piece that's missing out of our hearts. And it's so that we would have this built-in longing and a need to fellowship with God. Think about that, man. God made us in such a way that we can't be whole unless I have fellowship with him. God literally made you to know him and to enjoy him forever. Augustine, great theologian, a long time ago said this, God, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until, it's, until it finds its rest in you. God made us to have this fellowship with him, to know him, and to experience him. So when you take the Lord's Supper, when we have communion later on, I want you to kind of see it like this. Put yourself back in the place of those disciples. And can you imagine those carpenter's hands, those rough hands, breaking that bread and handing you a piece of bread? and taking that cup and handing you the cup. I want you to take this time as we do communion, and I want you to just put yourself back in that position. You are literally taking the elements from the hands of Christ. Jesus is handing you this, and he's telling you, remember me. I can't tell you how much I wanted to have this meal with you today. Remember me. Experience it the way that they did. And it's his promise, God's promise to us. Jesus has promised to us to nourish us and to take care of us and to be our spiritual father and our spiritual safe place. I want to go back. Remember, I said that he said to the guys, to the disciples, I, I, I've longed, I can't tell you how much I've longed to have this meal with you. The Greek says it in, in a certain way that doesn't work in the English because it's repetitive for us. It says, with desire, I have desired. <laughs> right? With so much desire, 
I have desired to eat this meal with you. I, I can't explain how excited I am to eat this meal with you. So here's Jesus, the creator of the universe. He sustains everything. He's in this skin suit, right, in his incarnation as a human. I don't get all that. And he's having his last meal. He could have had famous people there or historical people there. Who would you want to have at your last meal? They would not be the 12 dumbest people you know, right? And I feel like for Jesus, that's who was there. Like the literally the 12 dumbest guys that he could have found who followed him around and did not get it all those years and did even just like two days before, they're bartering for position in the kingdom of God, you know, just all this stuff. That's who he asked to be at this meal. Who would you eat with at your last meal if you know you were going to die tomorrow? And tonight was your last dinner. Who would you ask to be there? Jesus looks at those guys and he goes, I have planned this. I can't tell you how much I've wanted to eat with you today. He planned this meal to be with you. I would say the same thing is true of us today. He knew in ages past that we would be here this morning to have this little meal with him this morning. And he has planned to be here with us today to have this fellowship time with us today. Jesus takes this Old Testament ceremony, and it's very Old Testament. I'm not going to get into all the symbolism. It's a very Old Testament idea. And the whole thing focused on Moses, and it focused on a lamb, a literal lamb, right? And then the sacrifices and whatnot, but a lamb in particular. And he switches the focus. He takes all the attention off of that meal, and he makes it about himself. The whole celebration now moves away from Moses. Moses delivered you from slavery. I'm delivering you from sin, death, and hell, and Satan. You praise the blood of the lamb. We're thankful for the blood of the sheep. My blood will be shed so that you can have forgiveness of sins. He switches the entire symbolism and the focus of the ceremony and the celebration onto himself. Now we call this, some of us do, we call this the Eucharist. E-U-C-H-A-R-I-S-T. The Eucharist. That just comes from earlier in this text that says when Jesus had given thanks. He has dinner and he gives thanks for the food. It's a, thank, it's a thanksgiving celebration is what that means. Again, that's very, it's an Old Testament idea, but that would have been part of the feel of the night. They would be giving thanks to God for what he had done. So we celebrate it now as a Eucharist, as a celebration of a thanksgiving. So what are we doing when we celebrate this as a Eucharist, as a thanksgiving celebration? What are we doing? Well, we're giving thanks. God has sustained us physically with bread and drink. Do you understand that? Your employer doesn't sustain you. Your bank account doesn't sustain you. Your degree, your expertise at something, your talent doesn't sustain you. God gives you air to breathe, food to eat, something to drink. Do you understand that? So when we take the Lord's Supper, we're thanking him for bread and for wine to, to base elements of our diet and saying, thank you for sustaining me. You give me everything needed for life. Thank you. So we're thanking him for just those things, but he is sustaining us spiritually all the time. He's giving us his grace at all times. So we're thanking him for both physical sustainment and uh, the spiritual part of that. The only command in this text, we're not commanded to do the Lord's Supper. Do you know that? We're commanded to remember him when we do it. The only command in this verse is that you would remember. Remember. When you do this, 
So just switch that to, if you do this, remember me. That's the only command in the entire thing, that we would remember what Jesus has done. I said it earlier in that little story about the wedding yesterday, but we are so weak that we have to be reminded to remember. We have to be reminded to remember. I want you to think about this last week. I, re I really want you to kind of review, play the tape back in your head. When you tuned into that TV show, did you remember? When you were angry, did you remember? When you corrected and disciplined your kids, did you remember? When you had a chance to give mercy and grace to someone, did you remember? When you listened to that song, when you clicked on that website, did you remember? When you thought about somebody else and it was not nice, and when you thought about yourself and it's not nice, did you remember? When you faced health issues, finances, relationship problems, did you remember? Listen, we are weak, and we have to be reminded to remember, to remember who Jesus is, to remember what he's doing in our lives, to remember the promises that he's given us. We must be reminded to remember. We are basing all of our lives, all of our eternities on the sacrifice of Jesus, but we have to be reminded to remember that. Everything we do every day is based on him and what he's done for us, and we've got to remember that every day. We've got to be remember, reminded we be, uh, to, to be thankful for Jesus. There's a whole lot of great, great thinking to be done in Christianity. A lot. A lot of great philosophy, a lot of great theology. There are a lot of fantastic social programs and ministries, things, a lot of good things we can do within Christianity. We're not told to remember any of that stuff in communion. I think there's great theology today, but we're not told to remember any of that stuff in communion. We are told to remember Jesus Christ. So when you take communion, I want your mind to be bent toward him, toward what he's done for you. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember to be thankful for Jesus. Basically, I think Jesus is saying, I want you to remember, be encouraged by everything that I am. Everything that I am and, and forever will be for you. My person, my work, everything I've done, it's yours by grace. And when you eat this meal, I think Jesus is saying, I want you to let that soak into your soul. Remember who I am. He switches the entire thing. The whole purpose of the ceremony gets switched over to him. His death, his sacrifice, his blood that paid the price. We want to remember to see Jesus. Not an experience, not goosebumps, not emotions. Jesus, you know, he's a real person. Is that so, it's so hard for us to think about him like that because we can't see him, right? He's a real person. And he wants us to have fellowship with him, to have communion with him. So remember to be thankful for Jesus. Remember to be thankful that this is for me. Christ did this for me. You should never, ever cease to be amazed by that. You should look in your own heart and know your capacity for sin and never stop being amazed. Jesus did this for me. Are you overwhelmed by that idea? Because I think we should be. <laughs> When we come to the table, when we come to worship him, but when we do communion, and specifically we should come with our eyes full of tears, weak need, hearts full of humility and thanks because Jesus did this for you. Remember to be thankful for his love. There's a great song, and we've sung it here. It says, oh, what love 
no greater love, grace, how can it be? Then in my sin, yes, even then, he shed his blood for me. Oh, the blood of Jesus washes me. What a sacrifice that saved my life. Yes, the blood, it is my victory. What kind of love is that? When we come to the Lord's table, we should be remembering his love for us. Remember to be thankful that we are his people. We get to do this together. There's probably an appropriate time for you to take communion on your own. Probably an appropriate time for you to do communion with your family. Primarily, we should be do, do communion together. We are called to remember this as God's people, that he has done this thing for us, that he's gathering this new people together. It's a shared experience, right? Um, the last two or three weeks, uh, Mindy and I have gone to the place where Jordan works. Jordan's doing training at a gym. And it's, it's been awesome, not because I love getting them kicking my rear end every three days, but it's awesome because I'm doing it with other people. So there's the 70-year-old man beside me, and when it's like your third round of 40 push-ups and nobody wants to do it anymore, we're talking to each other, and like, dude, you can do it. Give me five more. And when I don't want to do any more crunches, any more pull-ups, any more of these weird box things that they've got me doing, some other little kid or some other teenager or some other is coming to me saying, dude, you got this. You can do this. There is something to the group experience, right? We don't come here today to drink this as perfect people. We come here today to go, dude, I know it's been hard following Jesus this week. You got it. Let me encourage you as you take this today that we do this as a community, as a new family, not as perfect people, but as people who are struggling to get through life. And we want to encourage you today and just put our arms around you and say, you've got it. Jesus has you and you can face what you're facing. Let's remember what he's done for us. Amen? So we want to do it as a new community of people. I can watch a Cowboys game by myself, but when me and Gil get together, it's even better, right? Same thing. Remember to be thankful that we really are saved, that we really are safe, that we are precious to God. Do you remember who was at that meal? I've said they're knuckleheads. Do you remember? Like, do you remember who came? There was a zealot at that meal that night. And you're like, what does that mean? That means that one of Jesus' followers was an open rebellion against Rome. He was in open rebellion against Rome, and he was sitting at the meal that night. You know what Judas had been doing prior to that night? Stealing from everybody. He, he was the, I don't know who did this, made him the treasurer of this, the, the disciples' stuff, and he's been stealing from them the entire time. James and John, two days before, had been bartering with Jesus about getting to sit on his right hand, and his, just knuckleheads, people who didn't believe. Peter, he's going to chop a dude's ear off later, you know? That's who's at this meal. And we should all be thankful that those are the people that Jesus asked to come at the meal because that means there's a seat for me. Amen? That means you have a seat there, man. No matter how ridiculous you are, right? No matter how silly you are in your attempts to follow him, there is a place for us, not because we have earned it, but because it is graciously given to us. We are here because of grace. We are precious to God, and he has made a place for us at his table. That's why we give thanks. Those are the things that we give thanks for when we come here. We remember that God is creating this new family. He's creating a new relationship. Just this week, I had somebody from our church come, and a younger person. They wrote me this long email. Normally, long emails aren't good. This was a great email, long email, and I read the whole thing. And um, uh, it was fantastic. And basically what they were saying was, they have found life and community at this church. And I wish I could say who it was and, and point out the people who have poured into this person. 
and who they've poured into. But basically, they've said, by being involved with preschoolers to people who are 50 years older than me, God has given me a family that I never, ever could have dreamed of. And it is fulfilling a part of my spiritual journey that I didn't even know I had. And they were like, if I could just tell everybody to just give them, serve other people and let other people serve you, how important it is to be in that kind of relationship. And I just want to highlight for all of us, listen, that's not supposed to be the 1%. That's supposed to be the 99% of us. That this should be the place where we're giving ourselves away to each other. This should be the place where we're giving ourselves to each other like family, right? The crazy uncle who you're like, that's my uncle. He's nuts, but he's part of, a, he's part of the deal. Like that should be happening in here, right? Walking with each other all the time, building a new family that's happening here across age groups and across all kinds of other divides. This should be a time where we come to each other. This should be a group of people where we can sit with each other and basically say this, man, Jesus is amazing, right? He is so good. He's changed us. He's purchased so much for us and he's changing us today in so many ways. And then we look at each other and we're like, man, how are you? Really, how are you doing? How's your health? How are your finances? How's your family? How's your job? How's your internal walk with God? How are you spiritually? How can I walk with you? Because this is our family, guys. You understand that? Not in a weird cultish way. This is our family. God's making us into a new family that's never existed before, right? And we need to be committed, see communion as a way where we celebrate that with each other. This is our family celebration dinner too. Verse 26, he says, we'll be done. He says, we do this until Jesus comes back. Now we're going to eat this meal until Jesus comes back. So that means two things. One, there's another meal. So we eat this meal, and this is kind of like the preparation meal. These are all the hobbit meals, right? So the hobbits eat like 10 meals in a day, and then they have like a dinner kind of a thing. That's what we're doing. We're eating all these tiny little meals, these communions through our existence here on earth. Then Revelation 19 says there's another meal. We call it the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I'm not going to get into that. It gives me goosebumps to think about. But because I've done, y'all had a wedding this couple weeks ago. I did a wedding yesterday. Basically, it's a gigantic marriage celebration in heaven with Jesus. I came to faith in 1982. My grandparents came to faith in the 50s. Their grandparents came to faith in the 1800s. My, grand, my great-grandmother was born in 1896. She came to know the Lord in like 1912. People that predate them, Old Testament saints, we're going to sit at a giant table to go, and at some point, God, Jesus is going to say, I have married you. You are my bride. Let's have a party. And we won't do this anymore, amen? This is going to pass away because we're going to have another meal someday. The final celebration meal with Jesus Christ. We celebrate what he's done with him. With him, right? So we're looking back, but we're also looking forward to a day where we don't do this anymore. So that we're going to do this until he comes because there's another meal, and we're just not going to do this. This meal, we don't have to eat it anymore. We don't have to look backwards anymore to remember things. We're going to be with him. We'll be made complete. Our salvation will be perfected. We will be with God. And so this meal should stir up our passion for that day. That there's going to be that day where we have that celebration with Jesus. So we talked about earlier that this is a Eucharist. You guys, Jimmy and the band, you guys can come on up. We're going to get ready for our communion time. So we're Eucharist. That's what we're sort of referring this to. But I want to ask you this. Are you a Eucharist? So I want, to, I want you to take this out. Take this time to sort of prepare your hearts to walk out of here and to be a daily 
thanksgiving offering to God. We're going to give him thanks. We're going to say thank you for all that he's done for us. But I want you to walk out of here and I want you to think, how can I serve people when I leave here today because I'm thankful for what God's done for me? How can I wash somebody's feet and make meals for people and meet them for coffee or do their car work or housework for somebody else? How can I show my thanksgiving to God by how I live with other people? How can I be a daily Eucharist? I want to go out of here with thanksgiving in my heart. Some of y'all are just sour. I can, I mean, like from here, it's a bummer to look at you, right? I'm just telling you. Because the whole time I've been talking, one, you're sleeping, two, you're literally like this. I'm not going to point fingers, but there's about five of you the whole time. Here's what I want to just say to everyone. That's cool. I'm fine. I've been doing this for like 30 years, all right? I've had students be crazy people while I was speaking. I'm good with it. Here's what I want to say to you. The world needs you to walk out of here with thanksgiving in your heart. The world needs you to walk out of this place and go, Jesus died for me, and I'm a different person because of that. I'm not asking you to be Mr. Fun and have a party every day. I'm asking you to walk out of here with something reflecting out of your heart and your soul that says, Jesus died for me, saved me, and redeemed my heart, right? And be a thanksgiving offering. Be a Eucharist to people, right? Where you're going out from this place and you're a sacrifice to the Lord every day. Isn't that what worship is? That we would offer up our, day, our lives daily as a living sacrifice? a living Eucharist so that other people see our thanksgiving in our hearts. Amen? So let's be, let's agree, be sour in here, thanksgiving out there, okay? Let's do that, okay? Walk out of here with that thanksgiving. Be that gravitational force that pulls people to Jesus as they look at your life. Gosh, why? Why are you so happy? Why are you so thrilled with life? Your life is hard, dude. I know your story and it's hard. Why are you so happy right now? Jesus died for me. I've got, li I've got purpose in my life. I know that he's holding me in, my, in his hands even when my life is so hard. I'm thankful for that, amen? Let's walk out of here with that on our heart and on our lips as we leave here today. We celebrate everything about Jesus when we take communion. He is all satisfying. He is recreating us into something new. Jesus is coming again. He's with us all the time right now. We can overcome our lives in this world because he overcame this world. He gave us his righteousness and he is our high priest right now. We celebrate everything about Jesus when we take communion. The point of this meal is that it all points to Jesus. He is it. He is everything and our attention ought to be drawn to him more so than at any other point during our service. All of our attention should be drawn to him. Jesus is everything. So if you're like me, you need, rem you need reminders. And I've tried to remind you about a bunch today. The next thing I need to be reminded of, you just bow your heads and close your eyes a little bit. Man, I need to be reminded to slow down. I have a tendency to go about 10,000 miles an hour. And I need the Spirit to just remind me, man, slow down. Can I just, can we do that right now? Slow down. Just slow down. Remember. What's the Holy Spirit wants you to remember about Jesus? Remember. Celebrate. What do you need to celebrate about Jesus? Be thankful. I don't know, we have needs, and I don't want to downplay those at all. We have needs and problems and pains and fears. But what can you just be thankful about? What can you Eucharist to Jesus right now and say, yeah, I'm so thankful for this. Thank you. Commune with Jesus Christ. Don't miss this opportunity. 
to come into fellowship with Jesus because I believe thousands of years ago Jesus looked forward and he saw you sitting in the sanctuary fellowship today and this morning when you came in through your pastor he looks at you and he says I can't tell you how excited I am that you're here today I've looked forward to sharing this meal with you I have desired with desire to eat this meal with you today so let's fellowship with him our worship team is going to sing a song if at any point you feel like ready to kind of come and get your elements I want to encourage you to get them and take them back to your chairs today um, bring them through for, for your family and we're going to take our communion together so they're going to sing let's celebrate and worship and get ourselves